Colin Kaepernick has decided he will no longer stand during the national anthem until black people in America something, something, something. Now, some of you may be saying to yourself, Corwin Kaepernick, didn't he used to be a football player? And yes, he did. Coben Kapelstick was once the promising quarterback of the National Football League's San Francisco 49ers. Everyone was very impressed with Cuban Stippledick because he could both run and pass, and whenever he scored a touchdown, he flexed his bicep. For some reason. Unfortunately, while running and passing are very nice things for a quarterback to do while he's in college, they are not so good for when he becomes a professional quarterback who is paid money. You see, NFL football teams are businesses who like to make money instead of lose money because they're businesses, and that's the whole point. And when you are a business who pays a lot of money to your quarterback, you do not like to see him running so much because if he starts running, he may meet a 500-pound man named something like Nudamoquan who will hit him so hard that the top of his body will be thrown for a 20-yard loss while his legs remain on the line of scrimmage and his knees become little more than a fond memory. Then all that money that the team paid to the quarterback is basically flushed down the Colin Crapperdink. So 49ers quarterback Benedict Cumberbatch couldn't run so much anymore, and it turned out he was actually not all that good at passing either, and he couldn't even flex his bicep so much after he scored a touchdown because he wasn't scoring any touchdowns and just sitting around flexing your bicep looks kind of ridiculous. So Kerwin Stinklepoop lost his job as the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, and he was forced to sit on the bench, except during the national anthem, which was the only time he could stand up without getting tackled by someone named Nudamaquan and thrown for a 20-yard loss. It was here on the bench that Costly Pooperface discovered that black people in America, something, 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 and so he could no longer stand up for his country's anthem until his country treated black people more fairly by, oh, let's say, paying them millions of dollars to play quarterback badly. Now, some of you may be saying, hold on there just a second, Crapple Stinky Dink. How come you stood for the national anthem when you were still the quarterback and had something to lose, but now that you're on the bench and no one really cares what you think anyway, you're suddenly going to take a stand by not taking a stand and remaining on the bench which, let's face it, is where you belong because you're a crappy quarterback, quappy Hinklefink. Maybe the answer to that question lies in a report from Jay Glazer of Fox Sports, who says that the San Francisco 49ers had already been planning to cut Capper Collinscope from the team simply because he's not any good. So now Cumper Humperbump can make believe to us and to himself that he was cut because of taking a stance of not standing for his country because black people something, something, something. Frankly, if you ask me, that excuse is just a great big stinking pile of Colin Kaepernick. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. <laughs> no, that, that's it. Those are all his real names. What is, it about, what is it about guys who have black fathers and white mothers, and their black father abandons them, and then they're raised by kindly white couple? then they hate America. You know, a guy could be president of the United States someday, you know? It's, like, it's, it's exactly the same story. Anyway, boy, oh boy, what, we have got so much, you know, there was, a, there was a demonstration in Santa Monica over the weekend where women uh, exposed their breasts 
for some reason. Uh, and we, and we, you know, it was tough, but we sent our cultural correspondent, Michael Knowles, out there. We will have a full report. But, but if you're watching on Facebook and YouTube, you're going to lose the feed before then because you only got 15 minutes. And then you got to come over to the Daily Wire or you can download us on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you want to see the whole thing, including, you know, people taking their shirts off and the wild revels that we have here on The Andrew Clavin Show, then you have to subscribe. And then you can watch the entire show from beginning to end and also be part of the mailbag, which is, yes, you've got to be part of the mailbag because I know you have questions. You wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You have questions. You stare into the dark. We answer them. We answer them, and then you can go to sleep. Also, for more answers to your questions, please uh, pre-order my memoir, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ, and then send your receipt to aclavin at thedailywire.com, and I will sign a sticker for you to put in the book, and you will have a signed book. Even if you don't have a signed book, it's a good book. It's worth reading. All right. So last week, before the Clavenless weekend began, Hillary Clinton, Democrat candidate for president, hit on the amazing original idea of accusing her Republican opponent of racism. I've, who would, I mean, you know, it was like a, a brain flash. It's like, like this light bulb. You could almost see the light bulb go. And she was saying, I know, I know, no one's ever done this before. I will accuse Donald Trump of racism. So she went out and she made this speech. You, you, you will, here is, here is a little piece of her speech that she hit uh, Donald Trump with. From the start, Donald Trump has built his campaign on prejudice and paranoia. He is taking hate groups mainstream and helping a radical fringe take over the Republican Party. His disregard for the values that make our country great is profoundly dangerous. In just this past week, under the guise of outreach to African Americans, Trump has stood up in front of largely white audiences and described black communities in such insulting and ignorant terms. Poverty, rejection, horrible education, no housing, no homes, no ownership, crime at levels nobody has seen. Right now, he said, you can walk down the street and get shot. Those are his words. But when I hear them, I think to myself, how sad. Donald Trump misses so much. Yes, he misses the, the beauty of the black communities where you can, everything, everything she just said about the black communities, is, that's their sale. That is the Democrats' line, right? We, you've got to vote for us because your neighborhoods are garbage. You're getting shot. It's all persecution. You're oppressed. You know, in 1996, when her husband was president, she was making that speech. Because remember, then her husband was instituting all the anti-crime programs that brought crime down and that now she's running against. She is now running against these programs. So in 1996, she gets up and she makes this speech. The fourth challenge is to take back our streets from crime, gangs, and drugs. And we have actually been making progress on this count as a nation because of what local law enforcement officials are doing, because of what citizens and neighborhood patrols are doing. We're making some progress. Much of it is related to the initiative called community policing, because we have finally gotten more police officers on the street. That was one of the goals that the president had when he pushed the crime bill that was passed in 1994. He promised 100,000 police. We're moving in that direction. But we can see it already makes a difference, because 
If we have more police interacting with people, having them on the streets, we can prevent crimes. We can prevent petty crimes from turning into something worse. But we also have to have an organized effort against gangs, just as in a previous generation we had an organized effort against the mob. We need to take these people on. They are often connected to big drug cartels. They are not just gangs of kids anymore. They are often the kinds of kids that are called super predators. No conscience, no empathy. We can talk about why they ended up that way, but first we have to bring them to heel. And the president has asked the FBI to launch a very concerted effort against gangs everywhere. Gee, she misses so much about the black community, doesn't she? She, you know, I mean, I mean, this was her sale. And and when she talks about the fact, when she talks about the fact that Trump is just talking to white crowds, which is not his choice. I'm sure he'd be happy to have African Americans in his crowd. When he talks about the, she talks about that. So what she's saying to you is that he's making this sale to white people, not to black people. He's not trying to actually get black voters. But what are, what are the Democrats doing? Who are the Democrats pitching to? They are already got every black vote, every single black vote. All right, so now she puts out this ad. And to me, this is kind of amazing because, you know, the polls are showing, the, the polls are showing, I'm going by 538 now, the Nate Silver thing. And he says, you know, Hillary's got a very comfortable lead, but it's sinking. And when he adds his own kind of wisdom to the polls and all this stuff, it's sinking, her lead is is falling a little faster than he thinks it should. And he says, he writes a column saying, it's too early for her to just sit back. I mean, what Hillary wants to do is she wants to tell the press to get stuffed. I mean, she's come this close, right? It's like, have, a, have chocolate. Don't ask questions. Just eat chocolate. Stuff your face with chocolate and shut up about the questions, you know? She's that close to telling the press to get stuffed. She hardly shows up. She doesn't give any press conferences. She doesn't go anywhere. She doesn't do anything. She takes the weekend off. That's her best bet because every time people see her, they despise her. How can you not detest her? So every time she stays away, her poll numbers go up. That's the best thing to do. But Silver says, nope, it's too early to do that. There's something happening, and the race is getting closer. And personally, I mean, look at this ad. Look at the ad that she puts out accusing him of, of racism. What do you have to lose? You're living in poverty. Your schools are no good. You have no jobs. Oh, look at my African-American over here. Trump management was charged with discriminating against African-Americans and breaking federal law. I have a great relationship with the blacks. I have, I've always had a great relationship with the blacks. What the hell do you have to lose? I'm Hillary Clinton, and I approve this message. So if you couldn't see that when he says, what the hell do they have to lose? The answer is everything. But really, it's a perfectly good question. And I think that this is why she has gone on the attack like this. And this is why she is bringing this up, because it's a really good question. Now, here is a guy you won't hear on the show all that often, Quanell X, who is the leader of the new Black Panthers, right? And he's talking to a talk show host, Matt Patrick. And this is, this is a long cut, but listen to this exchange. It starts with Quanell X, and then it goes to Patrick, and then back to Quanell. And listen to what he says. He's saying essentially the same thing that Trump is saying. Donald Trump last week went to Milwaukee because of the rioting behind a police shooting of a young African-American male by a black officer. And the city was being burned down in certain parts of the black community by protesters. So Donald Trump decided to go to Milwaukee and speak about the conditions of America and why he felt black people should vote for him. He even went on to give lay out reasons why he felt we should. Let me say this to the brothers and sisters who listened and watched that speech. We may not like the vessel 
that said what he said, but I ask us to truly examine what he said because it is a fact that for 54 years, we have been voting for the Democratic Party like no other race in America, and they have not given us the same loyalty and love that we have given them. We as black people have to re-examine the relationship. I agree. Where we're being pimped like prostitutes, and they're the big pimps pimping us politically, promising us everything, and we get nothing in return. We gotta step back now as black people and say we gotta look at all the parties and vote our best interests. Look, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Quinell. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think what's going on, I know what's going on, is you take your CNNs, you take your NBC, CBS, ABC, and to a certain degree, every once in a while, the network that I won't mention because we're on it right now, uh, they seem to have this opinion that Donald Trump is a horrific individual and he can't do anything right. And they're nervous, I think, that he may come in and start doing things the right way. And you know what? He does, I believe, is the man that is going to move things in the right direction. Look, things that come out of his mouth and the way he says things sometimes, I think and I, to myself and I shake my head, but goodness spoke, gracious. But you're he right. He spoke directly to black people. Right. And I want to say and encourage your brothers and sisters, Barack Obama... Our president served two terms, the first black president ever. But did our condition get better? Did financially, politically, academically, with education in our community, did things get better? Are our young people working more than what it was before they got he came worse. into office? They got worse. The condition got worse. Right. And, and when he says, when Quanell X says that the blacks have given their loyalty to the Democrat Party like no other race, he, he left out the Jews. You know, one wishes that like Abraham X would get up and say kind of the same thing, you know, because these people aren't good for anybody. They aren't good for anybody. So that's, that's a voice, you know, that's a voice. That's a leadership voice that is going, it's going to be heard more and more. It has to be. It has to be. They can't destroy, you know, you can't always luck out and find a guy like Bill Cosby who is now exposed and so his his voice is, is neutralized. The things Cosby said is said were all true. Everything Cosby said about the black neighborhoods was true, but he neutralized himself by being such a bad guy behind the scenes. You're not going to be able to do that every time, not if everybody starts speaking up. And that's why the Democrats are afraid. That That is why what Trump is doing I mean, Trump is right on top of this. Let's just listen to a bit of his speech, uh, the first cut of Trump, talking about Democrats and race. The Democratic Party has failed and betrayed the African-American community. Democratic crime policies, education policies, and economic policies have produced only more crime, more broken homes, and more poverty than we've ever had in those communities before. Nearly four in 10 African-American children live in poverty. 58% of African-American youth are not working. More than 2,700 people have been shot in Chicago since the beginning of this year alone. Violent crime has risen 17%. And in America's 50 largest cities, it's only going one way, folks, and that's up. 
Okay, we've got uh, topless women coming up, but you've got to come over to the Daily Wire. We're done with Facebook for today. We'll see you later. So that speech that Trump just made, now I don't know if he has the discipline to keep his, you know, keep a little bit on track and maybe keep the really outrageous stuff to a minimum and, and talk to the entire country as a whole. I don't know if he does, but speeches like that should be blueprints for Republican candidates in the future. There is simply no way that the blacks can look at what is going on in Democrat-run cities. And remember, there hasn't, I mean, a Republican hasn't flown over Chicago or Detroit, you know, has, hasn't driven by, like on the O road, you know, on the ring road. They haven't been by. So you, there is nothing that you can say about Republicans except that they sound mean. That's all you can say. So Trump says, you know, what do you got to lose? What's wrong? You know, your neighborhoods are, are stinky. And everybody says, ooh, that sounds mean. Well, look, now after this, Trump get, makes it personal, and he goes after Hillary Clinton absolutely personally. Hillary Clinton is a bigot who sees people of color only as votes, not as human beings worthy of a better future. She's going to do nothing for African Americans. She's going to do nothing for the Hispanics. She doesn't care what her policies have done to your communities. So, okay, so Hillary calls Trump a bigot. He says he's made hate, taken hate mainstream. And Google it. Look at the reports. Hillary makes speech accusing Trump of racism. Now look at the way they reported on that speech. There was another OMG moment that Donald Trump served up at this rally in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, in which he called Hillary Clinton a bigot. Earlier this week, for the last several days, he has been coming close to saying something along those lines. He's accused her of bigotry, not caring about the concerns of minority voters. But this was much more uh, right on the edge of going out and just basically calling Hillary Clinton a bigot. Donald Trump is taking name calling to a new level. The Republican nominee called Hillary Clinton a bigot last night in Jackson, Mississippi. He accused the Democratic Party of using minority communities to pick up votes. And it comes as he is out with a brand new harsh label for Hillary Clinton. Speaking in Mississippi overnight, Donald Trump gave a provocative new label to Hillary Clinton. For the first time, branding her a racist. Watch the reaction from this woman as Trump makes Hillary the attack. Is a bigot who sees people of color. These pop open. I mean, it's all like, well, how shocking. This is so, what's so shocking about it? What is so shocking about it? She called him a racist. He called her a racist. Who's closer to the truth? Well, you know, here's the thing. When you look at Trump's record, there's a lot of really, really sketchy stuff in Trump's record. But when you look at it closely, I'm not sure that racism is really the accusation that I would make. The worst one is back in 1973, the federal government, the Nixon administration, sued the Trump company for not renting to blacks, for, you know, telling them the apartments were full and all this stuff. And the suit went on for a long time. And finally, the Trump company, what did they do? They, they didn't admit to guilt, but they promised in the future they wouldn't do it. They said, we will have non-discriminatory practices. I mean, that, that was pretty ugly. The company at the time was really run by Trump's father. I mean, Trump was the president of the real estate uh, company. But 
Trump's father really instituted those policies. Still bad. But then I look at I looked at um, this this uh, story on Vox.com that was listing all the ways in which he was a bigot, and I'm looking down all this all the things that they have, and most of it is absolute nonsense. In a commencement speech at Lehigh University, Trump spent much of his speech accusing countries like Japan of stripping the United States of economic di- dignity. That's not racist. I mean, there's not, it's not a racist thing about it. In a controversial case that's been characterized as a modern-day lynching, four black teenagers and one Latino te- teenager were accused of attacking and raping a jogger in New York City. wasn't a lynching. It was not a lynching. These kids, but anyway, it's a long story. I'm not going to go into it now. But Trump immediately took charge in the case, running an ad in local papers, bring back the death penalty. I was in New York at that time. That woman was beaten nearly to death. It was an absolutely brutal case. Emotions ran high. What difference does it make what color the attacker was? What difference does it make? You know, they did. The, all right. There's all these things, all these little things. And at the end of this list of, of really nonsense, they say each one of these may not mean something. But when you put them all together. So the idea yeah, <laughs> so the idea is we know you're not going to read the whole list. You just get this idea that there's this top one has some valence, the, the lawsuit. But after that, we just know that you're going to have the sense that Trump is a racist. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Hillary Clinton has supported the policies that have. Hey, what's up? That have. I'm getting out of it. Uh, has supported the policies that have resulted in the violence and poverty and generational poverty caused right. by out of wedlock births that have have plagued the black community. You know, and and this is something right, that cool. she has done repeatedly, and and for years, and they and they have destroyed these communities. How is that not racist? When you have Black Lives Matter people standing on stage uh, at your convention damning the cops who have kept these neighborhoods safe, who have only patrolled these neighborhoods more intensely because there's more crime in them. That's the only reason. When you uh, play into the fantasy that these cops are hunting black people down, that that's using a people that is using a race, playing the race card for votes while destroying the neighborhoods that you're supposed to protect. So I think Trump is right. I think Trump is on the good side of this. I mean, look, he has said some things that I will not defend. He said a lot of things I don't defend. I'm not a a promoter of Trump. All I'm saying is in this case, if I had to choose, if I had to pick the worst racist, I would be on Trump's side in this one. It's Hillary. No question about it. All right. The cultural portion of our program begins. You know, (laughs) we had over the weekend, you know, this is is really... uh, you know, our technology has really advanced here. And so we have sent out our cultural correspondent, Michael Knowles, uh, to look at naked women, women with their shirts off, uh, parading for, for equality. It was tough. He didn't want to do it. You know, it was it was really hard. We had to pay him overtime to look at women's breasts. But he is here. This is amazing. He is here reporting from the writer's room 20 feet to my left. And we actually have the technology to bring him in live. Let's see if we can get this uh, connection going. Whoa, whoa, that's amazing. That is amazing. Can you hear me? Can you hear me all right? I can. I think the, the feed is coming through the very thin wall next door. Yeah. Uh, oh, good. So you can hear both over the machinery and through just through the wall. It's a uh, because you right. might get, you might get a little delay at this uh, at this remove. So tell me, why were women in Santa Monica walking around with no shirts on? It's because feminism, I've finally concluded, is an elaborate ploy thought up by a very clever man. I can't <laughs> believe it worked. We now have we have to work less hard. We have to pay for less stuff. We have as much casual sex as we want, and we get a parade of breasts for equality. 
this is the best thing ever. Like, I, 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 we're all feminists now. This is, I love it. You're all feminists now. now they, so, nice tits? I mean. yeah. I'll tell you, I actually, I said to my girlfriend, I said, Drew wants me to go out and cover the culture this weekend, and we have two choices. We can see shrieking feminists parading their breasts, or we can watch Southside with you. Oh, that's what that And means. it was no contest. Yeah, that's it what. It was not even. <laughs> even, even, the, even the girlfriend goes out for the breasts on oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, sure no. <laughs> so so these, were, the, the thesis here is that this is going to make them more equal, is it? That's right. There, there is the thesis that they have. I can't believe we convinced them of this. <laughs> is that no human body part is inherently sexual. Right. So they take their shirts off and dance around Venice Beach. That will bring about equality. And, and I'm sure the men in the audience were like terribly respectful and just really understood so the point. They were respectfully taking photographs right. and <laughs> videos. And it was incredible because they were chanting, uh, free the nipple, free the mind. Uh, what do we want? <laughs> Topless rights. When do we want them now? And they were marching and being followed by hordes of men just taking videos and photographs of them, presumably for equality. <laughs> Up until now, I had always thought that women were actually the smarter sex, but I guess I was wrong. At, uh... I Well, I, I never realized I was a feminist. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, your mind is expanded. We have freed the nipple and freed your mind. And I thank you for, for this report. It's amazing that you could be out there in the writer's room uh, and still reach us like this. I'm just amazed. Well, at... I'll tell you, Drew, your assignments are really, really tough, but you know, somebody's got it. <laughs> hey, you better, better be nice to me or next time it's Southside with you. It's, uh... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Thanks, our cultural, our cultural, cultural correspondent, Michael Knowles, coming to us uh, straight from the writer's room. It's just amazing what you guys can do. I just, I, I have to take Take off my my shirt to the uh, <laughs> technology. My shirt is off to you. All right, let us stop, uh, conclude our program with stuff I like. This this week, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite poets because we've been talking a lot about you know pop culture and everything. Let's go back in time a little bit and get a little high culture in here. And I want to talk about Alfred Lord Tennyson. And the reason I want to talk about Tennyson is he is a bugbear to the Afric to the academic right. They hate him. They hate him. Uh, when T.S. Eliot was becoming one of the famous, really the last famous uh, English poet, uh, he was an American, but he became an English poet, and he was very much affected by Tennyson, and he wasn't really allowed to say so. He had to wait until he was so famous that no one could attack him before he could go out and talk about how great Tennyson was. And the reason was Tennyson was a defender of British Victorian values, and he just came out and wrote these beautiful, beautiful poems with filled with Christian, British, European values. And so, of course, the academic left detests him. They can't even understand. Even when I was a kid, they were saying, why, are we, why do we have to listen to them? Why do we have to? Maybe my favorite of his poems is a poem called Ulysses. And Ulysses is, of course, Odysseus from the Odyssey. He is when the Greeks were besieging Troy. Odysseus was the clever one. He, uh, Achilles was the big brute of a soldier. Odysseus was the clever one who came up with the idea of the Trojan horse, and he was, you know, he was the trickster. And he came back, when he was coming back to his kingdom, he lost all his ships, and he went on this, I think it was a 20-year journey. That's the, the poem, The Odyssey, where he met monsters and witches and all these things, had his great adventure, and finally came back and took over his kingdom. The next time we hear 
of Odysseus, or not the next time, but one, one of the later times we hear of him, is in Dante's Inferno, where he shows up in hell. And he has been damned to hell, and he tells the story of his last voyage on which he died. And so Tennyson imagines what is going on in Ulysses's mind as he decides to leave his kingdom and go off for one last journey. And instead of making him the bad guy, he really makes him a very, very sympathetic character. He is this guy who has seen the world. He has had huge adventures. He has fought with the gods. He has fought with the gods. And now he's sitting in this kind of savage group of people, and they're, you know, they don't even know who he is, and they just want to have their laws and eat their you know, food and all this stuff. And he starts to look at those boats and think, I think I want to go on one last voyage. And as he writes this very, every old man, who reads this poem, tears up. I'm just going to read, I can't read the whole thing, it's too long. <clears throat> I'm just going to read the beginning as he starts to think about what he's going to do. It starts, it little profits, which means it does no good. It does very little good. He says, it little profits that an idle king by this still hearth among these barren crags matched with an aged wife, I meet and dole unequal laws unto a savage race that hoard and sleep and feed, and know not me. I cannot rest from travel. I will drink life to the lees. All times I have enjoyed greatly, have suffered greatly, both with those that loved me and alone. On shore, and when through scudding drifts the rainy Hyades vex the dim, dim sea, I am become a name, for always roaming with a hungry heart much have I seen and known, Cities of men and manners, climates, councils, governments, myself not least, but honored of them all, and drunk delight of battle with my peers far on the ringing plains of windy Troy. I am a part of all that I have met, yet all experience is an arch where through gleams that untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever when I move. How dull it is to pause, to make an end, to rust unburnished, not to shine in use, as though to breathe were life. For an adventurer like Ulysses, to breathe is not life. And he finally calls to his men at the end of the poem, and he says, and one of my, I mean, this is a passage of uncanny beauty, but also any old guy listens to this and just like his heart lifts up. He says to his men, though much is taken, much abides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will, to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. Alfred Tennyson, Ulysses, go online and read it. It'll take you 10 minutes, and it will blow your mind. It's a great, great poem. We will have more to say tomorrow about sex and violence and race and all those great things that are tearing our country to shreds. <laughs> I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. It'll be fun then, too.